0: Um, If you'd like to open up to Revelation 14, that'd be great. As you know, we're continuing continuing in our Revelation series. And as you're turning to Revelation 14, I just wanted to ask this question, which is what to do about the donkey? What to do about the donkey? I think I'll introduce you to the donkey. So the the donkey comes from a story in my childhood where we moved to a place called Kajiwa North. We had five acres. Mum and Dad were into this kind of sustainable farming idea and had... All sorts of animals and bits and pieces and, you know, nice, nice garden, veggie garden, veggie patch, all that kind of stuff. And they decided to get a donkey. I can't remember its name. I don't really want to remember its name. It's a bad memory. Uh, it was a fully grown donkey. And when we first got it, we went, oh, wow, look, it's got a cross. You know, some donkeys have a cross on their back, certain types of donkey. I don't know if you knew that. People think it's where Jesus sat or something. I don't know if that's true or not. Anyway, this donkey didn't have much to do with Jesus at all, as far as I can tell. Um... So, of course, we tried to ride the donkey, and I keep calling it a him, but it may well have been a her, I don't really remember. Uh, And this donkey was just crazy. Sometimes it was just crazily misguided to just gallop off for no reason. Other times it just stopped and just would not go. Um, So, my uncle, who shall remain nameless to protect the guilty, basically came up and said, Well, I'll show you how to ride this donkey. So, he jumped on the donkey, and the donkey didn't do anything. The donkey just sat there, he was trying to get it to go, it wouldn't go finally it just darted off, crazily galloping away with him holding on for dear life, and then finally he just fell off the back and hurt his shoulder and he came limping back going, that donkey's crazy, that donkey can't be controlled. Um, now you may think donkeys are small, but they actually can grow to about you know four or five hundred kilos, so most of us aren't more than a hundred kilos, so if you're on a donkey, and the donkey decides to take you and your 80 or 90 kilogram frame somewhere, uh, you don't have much say in that generally. So that's the donkey. So the characteristics of the donkey, as I remember, I'm sure not all donkeys like this, but just go with me because this is how I remember this donkey. Crazily, angrily misguided at times, just galloping off in a crazy direction. And other times just pretty much apathetic and lazy, complacent, not wanting to move from its nice little snug spot. In the end, we sold the donkey and got rid of it but I just want to put to you that you've probably already encountered the donkey this morning in the way that I'm going to use it because what I want to do is I want to use the donkey there's a bit of a picture of what the Bible calls the carnal nature or the sinful nature so in Romans we're told that nothing good lives in me this is Paul speaking to the Roman church he says nothing good lives in me this is this is Paul a great apostle you know really cool guy he says for what I desire to do which is good I can't carry it out And for what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So what he's saying there is there's something within me, it's like a donkey, that just crazily goes off at times or other times doesn't do what I want to do. Later he says that those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So what I want to do today is I want to introduce the donkey, the sinful nature, to Revelation 14, okay? So, like I said, you've probably already encountered the donkey, the sinful nature. Look, I, I'll just be honest, before when Andrew said, let's split up into groups, I was like, no, oh, do we have to? That's the donkey. Donkey doesn't want to do that. Donkey just wants to sit there nice and quiet. Um, maybe there was a bit of anger at home this morning. That never happens before church, does it? A bit of frustration. Everyone's full of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. You know, maybe there was a bit of an argument. Maybe there was a bit of impatience. That's the donkey, the donkey. Maybe there's even, you know, I didn't want to come to church this morning. That's the donkey as well, the sinful nature. And so what I want us to do is I want us to pretend that we're riding this 500 kilo donkey, right? You're the rider. You've got a mind. You've got a heart. You want to, you know, as a Christian, you want to follow God and stuff, but you've got this donkey to deal with, this crazy donkey. And so what I want to do is I want to introduce it to Revelation 14. you might say, Adrian, what are you doing going on with these crazy metaphors again? I actually got this one from the Bible. Um, it's from, from the Psalms where it says, God's speaking, and He says, I will instruct you. It's, it's a beautiful psalm, actually. I encourage you to read it, Psalm 32 another time. And just a little caveat here today I'm going to crisscross across the Bible as we read through Revelation 14, and you're going to read certain bits. You're going to, I want to read more of that. And, and you'll be tempted to keep reading it while I'm speaking, but I just ask that you don't do that. Um, you come back to it throughout the week, because otherwise, you're not going to get the general flow of where I'm trying to go with all this. So if you could just bear with me on that and then just read it throughout the week. Get into it yourself. As Andrew was saying at the start, you don't want to deal in a counterfeit God in a counterfeit gospel in a counterfeit word. You want the real stuff. So get into it yourself. But just please bear with me because this is a, a dedicated time where I get to hopefully serve you. So bear with me on that. But Psalm 32 says, I'll instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I'll counsel you and watch over you. And then the next bit, it's so interesting. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. That's why I'm likening the sinful nature to the donkey, to the mule. So let's introduce it to Revelation. I'm going to read Revelation. We're told at the start of Revelation that blessed is the one who reads uh, reads aloud this word, blessed is the one who hears this word, and blessed is the one who does this word. So I'm just going to read it aloud, listen to it. You're going to hear some very... Vivid, intense, shocking pictures. And most times what most preachers, I think, try to do uh, is try to say it's not as bad or they go to the opposite extreme and just kind of revel in all this kind of violence and stuff that's happening. I I don't want to do either of that. Uh, What I want us to do is I really want us to listen to God. I want us to be aware that there's a donkey within us that doesn't want to listen. Okay, And I want us, again, to think through what it means for the sinful nature, for the donkey to meet Revelation 14. Maybe I'll pray first before I read. Father, uh, resuscitate our hearts. Do not let the donkey have its way within us. We acknowledge that there is no good in us, in and of ourselves. We acknowledge that we are in desperate need of Rescue, redemption. I'll be frank, I, I don't understand why we have to keep on living with this sinful nature, with this, you know, these wrong desires at times, these selfish desires, these destructive desires, these things that wreck relationships, wreck the world. But Lord, you've chosen to live with us and in us anyway. And that is incredible. And I thank you. So Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, move and enable us to be your people, that we would be taught by you. We wouldn't be like the, the mule, the donkey, the horse that needs a bit and bridle, but we would listen with soft hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So Revelation 14. I'm actually going to start from the last verse of 13 because these few chapters actually all flow together in one chunk of text, really. Um, so last week we heard, or sorry, the last time we heard about 666. And really, this is a continuation of that. So it says in verse 18 of chapter th- uh, of the previous chapter, um, sorry, verse 18 of chapter 13, this calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. Six, six. And then verse 1 of chapter 14. Then I looked. So just before we've seen all these horrible scenes of the beast, of the nations, of this emperor that is a beast, the true nature of of kingdoms everywhere that are godless kingdoms that don't have God as their king. Uh, And then he says, Then I looked and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their uh, foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and a loud peal of thunder. Just imagine that for a moment. Uh, Think back when you hear thunder or or the water, a waterfall, you know. I've been to Victoria Falls. It's deafening. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. That's an unknown song. It's going to be known one day, but right now it's unknown. These are those who did not defile themselves with women in the Greek. it's These are those that are virgins. For they kept themselves pure. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as firstfruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. These people are spectacular. You'd love to be around these kind of people. I saw another angel flying in midair and he had the eternal gospel. This is the only time the word gospel is mentioned in Revelation. It's an interesting form of the gospel if you think about it. He had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, people. He he said in a loud voice, here comes the gospel. Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and the springs of water. Earlier on in the gospels, the very first gospel message we are told is repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. Who said that? Jesus. Who's saying it now? Jesus. Jesus essentially, through his word. Fear God and give him glory. Same kind of thing. The judgment's about to come. The kingdom's about to come. A second angel in verse 8 follows and says, Fall and fallen as Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. Then verse 9, A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. We're going to learn more about the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented or tortured with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the land. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives that mark, that mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey, obey God's commandments and reign, remain faithful to Jesus. I'm going kind to of detect there might be a bit of the donkey there, the donkey coming out and going, what? If that, if that is the kind of God that you worship, Adrian, I want nothing more to do with it. Well, just, I just ask that you bear with me, okay? Or if you're a Christian, going, I really struggle with that. That's not really what it means. I just ask you to bear with me, okay? Just bear with me through this sermon. <coughs> Um, moving on to verse 13, then I heard a voice from heaven say, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. What? what? Blessed are the dead? That's a a beatitude? Like blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. It's a a beatitude, but it's a a, a beatitude of death. Blessed are the dead um, who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit They will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. I looked and there before me was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hands. And you have got this picture of a harvest. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, take your sharp sickle and Gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine because its grapes are ripe. And then the angel swung his sickle on the earth. He gathered its grapes and he threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city and the blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1600 stadia. So, stadia actually comes from the word stadiums, same rough distance of a stadium. So, think of big Roman Colosseums and 1600 of them. This kind of idea of these grapes being pressed down and then just flowing out like blood. Now, is that pretty intense? <laughs> like, if you say no, wow, I don't know what would be intense to you. Um, is it pretty shocking? I think it is. So I just want us to work through it a little bit. I want you to keep thinking of the donkey. So we're introducing the donkey to Revelation 14. We're introducing the sinful nature to Revelation 14. And I want you to continually remember that we don't serve a God who is just a God of wrath, right? We serve a God who has come as the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the ultimate representation, the ultimate image. He is himself God And so if we want to get an idea of what's happening here, let's keep our Jesus lenses on, okay? Let's keep our Jesus lenses on. Um, The ultimate representation of who he is, is Jesus. Um, So we start with this idea in verse 18 that there's this number 666. And this is a little bit of revision from a couple of weeks ago. I encourage you to go through it. But back then we said, let's calculate the number 666 as we were asked to do. So have you? Do you remember what I meant or what I think the scripture is saying about 666? You know, all those times where people have tried to work out whether it's Nero or other emperors. And and the trouble is you can either come up with um, names of Nero or you can come up with other names. And it's never very convincing, I don't think. And then we liken it to the other time where we're called to calculate. Do you remember? It was when Jesus said, count the cost. You know who, who goes and tries to build a tower without counting the cost? He was talking about counting the cost of following him. And so I see very clearly here, I don't know if you do, but I kind of see it, is that, I hope you do, I hope you agree with me, um, you may not, uh, that this is a call to count the cost of following Jesus because previously we've seen that the sevens, God is a God of kind of sevens, there's the seven days of creation, uh, there's the seven churches, the seven spirits of God, the sevenfold spirit of God and so forth. He's the God of sevens. Then we find in this early part of Revelation 14, they've got a, his people have got a, a mark on his head. It is literally 777 versus 666. Count the cost. Count the cost of following the beast, taking on his mark, taking on that, uh, uh, the tendencies, the culture, the attitudes, the behaviours of that beastly empire. Remember, we talked about how the beast is like... a. Like a a, a great figurative expression of what this empire is really like. Remember we talked about certain people that have been accused of sex crimes and up to that point they were actually really nice fatherly figures and then a way of expressing them would be that that person is a pig of a man. And you'd get straight away what I mean by that. What's being said here is this this kingdom, this uh, economic political system is a beast of a thing. It doesn't have your best interest at heart. It wants to use you. And so Jesus is saying, calculate. Count the cost. 777 verses 666. Count the cost of the beast or the lamb. Do you really want to trust yourself to an empire, an emperor, a world system that is ultimately depicted by the Bible as beastly? Count the cost. And so Revelation 14, we're given more data for our calculations. We're given more data to consider about counting the cost, about following Jesus. But what's that got to do with the donkey? Well, here's the thing. What does the donkey want to do about this choice between the beast and the lamb? Now, remember, this choice is presented to the seven churches of Revelation at the start. Just Christians like you and me, just living 2,000 years ago, minding their own business, trying to make their way, trying to get by, you know, earn money uh, for their families and so forth, if they were slaves, trying to work hard. And all the time, the allurement of Rome at that time, the allurement of of all the things that Rome eventually became guilty of, all the travesties that Rome became guilty of, just constantly there in front of them. the, the, The donkey wants to, I think, crazily run off or just sit still and not do anything. He definitely doesn't want to count the cost. So let's introduce him to Revelation, these scenes in Revelation. And first of all, in verse 1, we're reintroduced to the 144,000. And you'll recall we talked about them a little while back. And these have not received that name, they have not bent the knee to the beast, they counted the cost. So who are the 144,000? Well, back in Revelation 7, a little bit of revision here. They're actually the 12 by 12,000. The 12 by 12,000. Do you remember? you remember back then? We'll go back there in a minute. But what I want to put to you is that this is like a word picture, a number picture. Okay? So sometimes we say things like it's taking a million years. Is it really taking a million years to get a table here in this restaurant? Is it really taking a million years for Adrian to get through his sermon? No, it's a word number picture that stands in for a really long time. Well, and you might say, why don't you say a really long time? Because it doesn't have the same kind of felt impact as this has taken a million years. Another thing we might um, say is, I've got a thousand and one ways to say no. Or you could say, we are one. Does that mean we're all like, you know, look like the figure one or we're all literally just one big kind of entity? No. That connotes uh, intimacy and friendship and relationship, particularly when you talk about it in, in, in um, marriage. And you know, the, the Bible is replete with imagery. It is saturated with imagery, metaphors, parables. You do it every day at church. Well, we do anyway. The, the table, the bread and the, and the wine. We talk in language that is full of rich metaphors all the time in church circles and, and outside. And so it really shouldn't surprise us that if Jesus is trying to get a point across, he would give us a word picture number. And that word picture number is the 144,000 or more specifically, the 12 by 12,000. And the 12 by 12,000 clearly represent God's people, God's true people. Back in Revelation 7, we see that they from all the different tribes, Naphtali, Simeon, Levi, etc., etc., Over and over again, we're told that these people are the the true Israel of God. And what I want to, I guess, just remind us of is that these redeemed, true chosen ones, they are the true Israel and they include you. I really believe that because if you go back to Revelation 7, just go back there with me now, back to Revelation 7 verse 4. Well, that's the first time we're introduced to the 12 by 12,000. And do you remember from a few weeks ago what happens there? In verse 4, John says, I heard the number of those who were sealed. And then it goes through 12 by 12. So he hears, he hears them announced. So, so he may have his head down. He can't see them yet. Um, he hears them. And what happens next when he puts his head up? What would you expect to see? If I said 12 by 12,000, what are you expecting to see, Roughly. Or precisely, you're expecting to see 144,000, aren't you? But what happens in verse 9? So he's heard, now he looks, he looks up, and instead of seeing 144,000, what does he see? Millions, millions from all nations. In verse 9 it says, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language. So every nation from China, even from Toowoomba, from France, from Europe, from everywhere, wearing white robes. So you see the transformation, the 144,000, the chosen people of God, all these other people now grafted in, the 144,000, it's almost like stereoptic, 144,000 multitudes. 144. But the 144,000 is constantly standing for the true people of God, which includes you by faith. If you're a Gentile, a non-Jew, and you bend the knee and you, confess your sin, and you say, Lord, I want to follow you now. I've got to get serious with you. Uh, and by faith, you proclaim him and follow him and stand by him. Um, then you're like, like, like grafted in, like a branch gets planned, put onto that kind of chosen elect. How cool is that? So, so now you, you effectively become the elect by faith. That's amazing. And it's all part of God's cool plan. He's always intended that all the nations, all the nations would come in. It's their choice if they don't, because... And why don't they? Why don't they? Because the donkey, the donkey, what to do about the donkey? Hmm. Things come off. Here we go. So count the cost. These people, the chosen people of God and all the ones that are grafted in, who by faith have bent the knee and by faith now follow Jesus. that's That's who, that's who, that's who, that's who's there. But the donkey, the donkey can't picture that. Like even now, it's like it's hard to imagine what that's like. You know, I'm happy in my muddy little field. The sun's warm. I don't care. I'm okay. The world might be ending, but I'm okay right here, says the donkey. Or there's there's a scent of something pleasurable in the air. Boom, off he goes. And so here we stay or here we go. Now, the thing about Revelation 14, though, is that the donkey gets a shock, doesn't he? Don't you reckon that that's just shocking, what we're reading through? Again, Psalm says, you know, I'll instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I'll counsel you and watch over you. Don't be like the horse or mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit or bridle. I will not come to you. So millions of people out there today got up this morning and they saw a spectacular sunrise or maybe they didn't see it, but it was still spectacular nonetheless. And the complexity of creation all around them buzzing and humming with life. Their, their molecular structure, their, their life force, their, um, their energy is all just uh, given as a miracle. You know, mate, t- t- Take all the plants away, take all the trees on the Darling Downs, have one plant appear every 50 years, wouldn't that be a miracle? Wouldn't everyone want to go and see that? It happens every single minute, all the time. A beautiful rainbow lorikeet, imagine if there were none, and, and all this was just muddy plains, and then one day a rainbow lorikeet shows up. There'd be crowds wanting to see it. Every day that's speaking, shouting a sermon of creation. And then there's this ought within us, this kind of, I ought to be doing this, I ought to be doing that, I don't do it. Uh, you know, this, sense, this highly motivated, uh, sorry, highly developed sense of right and wrong, even, even when it's kind of clouded, we know there's an ought. The Bible talks about that as the, as the conviction of the conscience. And, and we're given all these blessings every day, um, but the donkey doesn't want to listen. So what will happen? I think the only loving thing to do if you're dealing with a free moral creature, if a libertarianly free person, is to show them the true nature. I call this rugby tackle love. So I imagine someone running towards a cliff face and I come running up and going, stop, stop, stop. There's a cliff and they go, good on ya. I'm an expert in cliffs. I'm telling you, I know this area, like I've lived here for 50 years. Yeah, good on you. So the loving thing for me to do is run and dive and grab them and take them down hard. And they're going, you're not loving, you said you were loving. I am loving because I don't want you to go over the cliffs so I have inflicted upon you a little bit of short-term pain for long-term gain. And I believe in a sense, that is what's happening here. The donkey is getting a shock. And I know that because when we go to Revelation 14, verse six, after that kind of awesome scene, that the donkey probably doesn't really care about. Now remember, these people are fully redeemed. And we'll get to the end of Revelation, wait for that, where we're going to see some spectacular things about the new kingdoms and the new earth. And I really want us to get excited about that. But at the same time, I really want us to get worried and anxious about the things we should be worried and anxious about, which is Revelation 14. So in Revelation 14, verse 6, we see that there's a gospel that's proclaimed by the angel. And he says, fear God and give him glory because the hour of judgment has come. So part one is there is a God. He does love you. He's made this earth for you. But now he wants his property back and he wants it up to inspection standard. He's had enough of this property being soiled and damaged and the people within it being soiled and damaged because of the donkey within us all. And now is the time to sort it out. The next bit of the gospel says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink from the maddening wine of her adulteries. Where else in the Bible is Babylon mentioned? Many places. All through the Old Testament. Let me read probably remember last week or a few weeks ago I said the beast is always empire and emperor it's always a person and a system well the system of Babylon was King Nebuchadnezzar he was the representative and we're told in Daniel 4 that he was one day walking out on the palace and he looks out and he goes is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and the glory of my majesty and so in Revelation Babylon becomes like a picture of all, of any, I guess, world power or big power or nation or national economic political system that is all about in and of itself being great. And what you find in these kind of nations, they're always kind of schizophrenic because on one hand, there's people who are incredibly blessed, but on the other hand, there are people who are incredibly tormented and tortured and um, in pain. And you might go, oh, that's not our world system. And I'm not saying our world system is necessarily Babylon, but it can go that way. And you might say, no, no, in Australia, it's pretty fair. Have you, would you like to perhaps interview, interview in future times an aborted baby? And say, what do you think of Australia? Um, or perhaps someone that's just been done, o- done over by the banks. That, that would never happen, would it? I mean, really badly done over. Interview them. You know, most of us are pretty blessed. Hey, but you know that there is a propensity for evil, even in this nation that we love. And that's what Revelation is saying. Revelation is saying these world systems, these government systems all have the propensity to become like Babylon. And when they do, watch out. Proud empires and kingdoms, beastly and cruel. And so the reason that we want to repent of that is if we put our hope in a world system and economics, if you put your hope in Australia, As your sole hope. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be serving Australia and loving Australia in terms of loving people, but what I am saying is if you put your hope in that, you're just doomed for disappointment. Because it's not going to last, and the reason it's not going to last is because it has this inexorable pull towards evil. And then he says, if anyone worships the beast in verse 9, And his image, and he receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He'll be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of holy angels and of the Lamb. So what does the donkey do with that? And what does a donkey do with like an incredibly vivid, horrific, terrible picture of those that take this mark, that bend the knee, I don't know about you, but as I read this, I I get the feeling I've got to do something about the donkey. I've got to take the donkey seriously. I can't be mucking about with the donkey. And it's interesting because there in the Bible, Paul says the same thing. that There's nothing good in me. You need to crucify the sinful nature. That means I think every day we're aware of the donkey. Every day we're coming to Jesus. We're repenting of any sin and we're open, open to change. Open to um, repentance. Mm. This is not good. In terms of, what I- no. can you still hear me, right? Yeah, right. Um, so, so yeah. So I guess with a donkey, you know, as it says, don't be like the horse or mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle. They'll not come to you. What I'm seeing here very clearly is that God is saying there is something really, really terrible about the donkey and letting the donkey have its way. Now you might go, this imagery, this picture. Now I, I don't I don't know exactly what's going on, okay? But we use words all the time to convey powerful emotion, don't we? So let's say you break up with someone. Sometimes we'll go, it was like they ripped my heart out. Now you could, isn't that a that's a powerful picture, isn't it? I mean, it gets to be a bit of a cliche if you say it over and over again. However, it is a powerful picture, isn't it? You could, again, you could say, Adrian, why don't you just say they really upset you? Is that the same? Does that convey head and heart truth? I don't think so. It'll convey a head truth, but not a heart truth. And we are head and heart people. And what is happening here is God is saying to us, he's saying to the donkey within you, he's saying, there is something so terrible here, it is like ripping your heart out. It is tormenting, torturing. Do not bend the knee to Babylon because if you do, then there is hell coming. You know, hell has been conveyed in so many different ways. There's been debates in recent times. Um, But whatever it is, (laughs) it's like having your heart ripped out. It's like being gutted in all the worst possible ways. And a loving God will not leave us that way, us libertarianly free people to choose, who must choose. He's not going to leave us. He loves us too much not to show us the true nature of our belief systems when we put our hope in the beast, when we put our hope in anything else apart from God. And then in verse 12, he says, This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints. Who obey, who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. So you've got those that don't. You've got those who let the donkey have its way. And then you've got those that through patient endurance, they obey God's commandments and they remain faithful to Jesus. That, that, that's the call of revelation. That's the do the words part. Don't cave in, don't sell out. And he says, blessed are the dead who die. Death is not the worst thing for you at all. What you just saw before is. The worst day of your life, as I've said before, becomes the best day of your life if you belong to the Lord. And heaven isn't a mystical place. It's a real place. Like I said, um, the new heavens, the new earth, it's going to be superb. And we'll hear more about that later on. But notice in verse 13, he says, They the blessed that are dead who die in the Lord from now on. Remember, he'd be talking to the seven churches of Revelation at the start. and, And they were facing a lot of things. They're dead now. They're gone. But they're blessed if they died in the Lord because it says they'll rest from their labour and their deeds will follow them. Imagine that rest with like a a super body, a non-dandruffy, smelly, um, ignoble body, a uh, non-weedy, non-thorn-like or thorny world, new heavens, new earth. It's hard, isn't it? Because a donkey within us just doesn't get that kind of thing. But I'm so thankful we've got this truth here. And I just encourage you, you know, go through maybe this week as a bit of homework and look at all the times uh, heaven is mentioned, the new heavens, new earth. Look at uh, Revelation sort of 20 through to 22. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Look at Jesus' parables about the kingdom. go—I oh, I want to oh, soak myself in pictures and sensations and feelings of heaven because it's blessed. But the donkey doesn't get it. He's like, no, no, give me Babylon. It's got to be better than dying. But it's not because sooner or later Babylon will sell you out. And even if it doesn't, your own body will sell you out. When you get old and you can no longer enjoy those pleasures and so forth. I'll instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I'll counsel you and watch over you. Don't be like the horse or the donkey, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle. And so in this last part of Revelation, it is set up like a harvest. And you might go, what is this all about? Like most of Revelation, it is referring and drawing from imagery elsewhere in the Bible. Is there anywhere else where a time of judgment is conveyed in the form of a harvest? Can you remember? I've got all the answers because I prepared. so. So Luke 3 says... John answered them all. So John the Baptist, I baptise you with water. We always like to quote this one, but we don't quote the next one. But one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And here's the next bit. His winnowing fork, so it's it's a harvest, is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. The wheat is good. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable flame, unquenchable fire. So what we see now in Revelation 14 from that is an expanded uh, parable or story of what this end time judgment will be like. And it uses that I feel gutted, you tore my heart out kind of language. And it's designed, I believe, to shock the donkey. It's designed to make you feel it. So what I want you to do this week, as well as looking at pictures of uh, of heaven and the new heavens and the new earth, is come back to Revelation 14 and just read through it slowly, perhaps in a quiet place, acknowledging that sinful nature within you. Acknowledging, though, also that behind this is a God who has died for you and loves you. And we'll talk about that in a tick. But what I want to do here is I just want to simply read through this very powerful imagery. I kind of want to get out of the way of it in a sense. I just want you to listen to it. And I just uh, I just ask, Father, that you would um, speak deep into our hearts, resuscitate our hearts. Don't let the sinful nature have its way within us. So verse 14, maybe you'd even just like to shut your eyes. I looked and there before me was a white cloud and seated on that cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. So think of that sharp blade. Think of the the end times when enough is enough. There's been enough evil. It's time to finish it once and for all. You can either bend the knee to the Lord Jesus and deny that donkey or you can keep following Babylon, keep following the beast. But mark these words here. There is a time of judgment coming. Verse 15, another angel comes out of the temple. He calls in a loud voice to him who's sitting on the cloud. Take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come. The harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. Just think of that massive blade just swinging down. Whatever that represents. The horror of it. The sudden stop and the sudden ending of the world. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar. Notice they're all coming out of the temple, out of that holy of holies. And God's judgment is always an expression of his his holiness. No one wants little kids to keep getting abused. No one wants um, children to be horribly abused. No one wants injustice economically. God wants it least of all and God will end it one day. The angel swung his sickle. On the earth, gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and the blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horses' bridles for 1600 stadia. Um, It's interesting because this was a very, uh, maybe not common, but at least a well known image when uh, the Jews were slaughtered by the Romans by the beast, by the empire. This is how it was described by a historian. They murdered the people of Bethair continually till a horse sank to its nostrils in blood and the blood poured into the sea to an extent of four miles. And if you think that that town lay near the city, do you not know that it was 40 miles away? So again, very vivid, intense language of judgment and of war. This is actually an image of war where people have killed each other. And so even as, you know, Emblematically, the sickle falls and the grapes, it's, it's all about war. We've seen that earlier on in Revelation where forces are unleashed. And this idea of the cup of God's wrath, oftentimes people, it's interesting because it, it's the image of, uh, you know, you're at a party drinking lots of wine, having a good time, but that wine that you're drinking represents uh, unfair, unjust economic labour. You haven't paid the workers and you're drinking their wine. Or uh, it then, you know, keep it g-rated but uh, it then represents you know the things that happen after a party like that you know where where relationships are broken women are not treated well men are not treated well uh, all that kind of stuff and so what actually happens is it's it's like god in his judgment gives you what you want you wanted all that now you get to live it out and the way it's lived out is in people yearning hungering the donkeys now starting to war because donkeys can't get along they never get along well, I don't know if they do for real, but you know what I'm saying. The sinful nature can never get along. And so now you kind of get what you've already, uh, or you reap what you've sowed. It's a terrible picture. And again, it's, it's demanding that we count the cost. We calculate whether or not we will serve the beast, take on his character, or whether we will serve the lamb. And as I finish off this sermon, um, as I have... Uh, throughout 2017 with a reality check, I just want us to think and to consider, again, that donkey within us, that hardness that can be within us, that, that stubbornness. You know, you're, if, if you're a young person, you're more open. If you're an old person, you may have become hard. Your your donkey maybe. It's maybe not obvious. Maybe it's more of a case of just sitting there, not wanting to do things, not wanting to take risks anymore for God. Getting judgmental. I was so challenged this morning reading my utmost for his highest. We're saying, do not judge. That's a part of what the donkey does too within us. There's always one more fact about a person that you're criticizing, that you're not aware of it. Like all these donkey-like behaviors, I just... Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? I will show you what he who is like, uh, He. I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and put them into practice. So think of the 12 by 12,000. And the multitudes that have bent the knee to Jesus, you know who they are, how? Their deeds follow after them. Their deeds follow after them. You know who is not on Jesus' side, by how? Jesus said it, you will know a false prophet, how? By their fruit. By their fruit. Your deeds are so important. They always come after faith, but they, it is so important. And, and they always detect and show to everyone and to yourself, if you're not going to be a donkey, uh, whether or not you are truly living the way God wants you to. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? I'll show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my word and put them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words, they both hear the words, doesn't put them into practice, is like what? A man who built a house. And you tell me what happens to the house. Fell down flat. Fell down flat. Notice he says, when a flood comes, when judgment comes. When judgment comes, when Revelation 14 comes. Think about the donkey. Deeds are so important. And in Revelation, the churches were told what to do. I summarise it for you. It was put your first love first. Consider now, what is the donkey saying to you about what you really want? What is the Holy Spirit who lives within you? What a miracle that he would live within us with that stupid donkey. I don't really get that. I don't get how that works, but he does it. So the church at Smyrna, don't be afraid, be faithful. When I was doing my prep for this, I discovered the Bishop of Smyrna. And I think about the second century, sold out sold out to the Roman Empire at the time. They had, they had excruciatingly horrible times of persecution from the beast from Rome at that time. There's been many persecutions throughout the world since then. But the Bishop of Smyrna, he sold out. He, he poured out libation to the Roman Emperor and to his gods. You know what that means? He had a cup and instead of saying, no, I will not, I will not drink this cup or pour it out for you because it is not Kaiser curious, Curios, Curios Caesar is Lord. It is Jesus Christos, Kyrios. Jesus is Lord. That's what many Christians said, but not all. Many actually sold out. One of the bishop of Smyrna did. He poured out libation to the gods, and he sold out. He caved in. And like, I, I don't even judge that guy because you know what? I could see myself there. If it's just me and the donkey, the donkey's going to cave in every single time. But you haven't been given a donkey. <laughs> You've been given the Spirit of the Living God. Don't be afraid. Be faithful. Repent is what Pergamon was told. Hold on is what Thyatira was told. Um, You know, all these churches all told to do something. Philadelphia, go through that open door. I know your deeds. I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have a little strength. That's me. That's me. My, My brother says, that's me. I've got such a little strength. And yet he that is within me is more powerful than the one that is in the world. It's awesome. Don't sell out. Don't cave in. Now, Sardis, wake up. Wake up, donkey. (laughs) Like Shrek. Um, Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete. Um, And then finally, Laodicea, repent. Don't sell out. Don't cave in. Um, I will teach you and instruct you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Don't be like a horse or a mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle. And finally, we come to this idea of the cup of God's wrath. Now, I find it incredible. I don't know if you do, but every time I preach and then roll straight into communion, there's this like new insight that I have about the Lord's Supper. It's just so cool. Well, maybe it's one that I had ages ago and I forget. But anyway, um, but this one, if you think about it, I'm going to watch a video and actually, BJ, if you could take care of the volume. Uh, it's a Dan Stevens video and I love what he does. You know, it's not right that the world has the best soundtracks, the best movies um, kind of promoting and encouraging their value system. Oftentimes, a movie, I think, is like a lament or a prayer, actually, because it's, it's, it, you can see a yearning for something beyond what it sees, even if it's a you know, corrupting kind of film or whatever. Um, but it's not right that they've got the best soundtracks and the best bands and the best orchestras and the best symphonies. And, uh, and so I look forward to that day when... Everything's kind of set right in that way. But in the meantime, you get a little picture here with this video of what happens when someone really wants to bend the knee and worship with their talent. And so you get an awesome soundtrack, I think. Awesome words, all aimed at our great and glorious and very superb Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want us to think about this idea of the cup of God's wrath. And this is what I want to finish off with, because when it talks about stamping out um, kind of the the winepress of God's wrath, uh, who, who has already bled for us? You know, who, who has already died for us? It's, it's the Lord Jesus. So this, this is why God's wrath in a Christian sense is so much more poignant and has so much more of a cutting edge than in an Islamic sense. Not that a Buddhist would talk so much about that uh, or a Hindu sense. You know why? Because when it finally gets to the time of judgment, he himself has already been judged. He himself has already died and bled Horribly. This is why no one can ever say, even with this bit here, it's completely unloving and rubbish and blah, 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 because the story behind that is the lamb, the crucified lamb. And so this cup of God's wrath, just watch the video, but the whole sense of it is is that the cup of God's wrath, the fifth cup of the Passover, has already been drunk by who? By Jesus. You don't have to drink this. Tell that donkey, I don't have to drink today of this cup of God's wrath because I'm going to drink of the cup of God's grace represented here in this communion table. You know, I get goosebumps every time I see that empty cup just fall. Um, I might put a link to it online because I obviously can't show the video online, but those four cups, sanctification, deliverance, redemption, uh, protection, and then the fifth cup, uh, just the, the cup of God's wrath. Just think about that for a moment. God creating human beings, creating free libertarian, wonderful people in the image of God, free to choose, knowing knowing that they would choose evil, choose wrong, choose against him, choose just to live a complacent life as though he doesn't exist and all the things that would then happen and then choosing to drink that cup of wrath before he even created. That's just mind-blowing. So that he could redeem, redeem you, the true people of God, the 12 by 12,000 grafted in. What an amazing thing. So as we come to the communion table today, just consider that. Consider those four cups, the fifth cup emptied and drink from God's grace. Drink deep. Father, as we come before you and your table, that he was set before us. There have been heavy and weighty words and shocking words, but we don't want to shy away from truth. If you are crash tackling us and keeping us safe from some deeper and more horrible thing, then I pray, Father, that you would um, convict our hearts, resuscitate our hearts. And we thank you for the cup. We thank you for the bread. We thank you for your body broken and your blood spilt for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So come enjoy. If you need to repent, if you need to get yourself, no, wrong, let God work in you. Tell that donkey no, open up, orientate on him and come and drink. This is for sinners. It's not for perfect people, but it is for repentant people, humble people. So come and partake and enjoy with us. The Lord's Supper will keep the cup and uh, drink that together.